Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we're on episode 133. Of course you got myself, Tyler, my co-hosts Pratik and Nick as always. Before we begin, I just want to say please follow, please share the podcast if you listen to us every week bringing you the latest on politics. So this week we're going to be kicking it right off with drag queens prevail in Tennessee. We have Tennessee's law that criminalized adult cabaret entertainment aiming to impose stringent restrictions on drag shows has been declared unconstitutional by a federal judge. The law focused on making it illegal to have drag shows taking place in public and in front of minors. U.S. Judge Tho- uh, Thomas Parker, an appointee of former President Donald Trump, asserted that the law was excessively vague, overly broad, and promoted discriminatory enforcement, while acknowledging that obscenity is not protected by the First Amendment. Judge Parker highlighted the distinction between what is considered obscene in common par- uh, parlance versus what is legally obscene. He emphasized that sexually explicit yet non-obscene speech should not receive less protection than political, artistic, or scientific expression. Scientific expression? The law sought to prohibit adult cabaret performances on large public public premises or anywhere minors might be present. Performers who broke the law risk being charged with a misdemeanor or felony for repeated offense. So we have some new laws over, you know, drag shows, cabaret shows, however you want to say it. What are your guys' thoughts on this? The fact that we're legislating this at all? Do you think this is actually protecting minors or not? Just overall thoughts. I think when it comes with laws, sometimes it's better off to not impose too many laws because then we get in the process of being too restrictive on XYZ different things. When it comes to this kind of stuff, again, this is how I think about a lot of things. If no one's forcing anybody to go to the adult cabaret shows, no one's forcing anybody to go to the drag shows. So if you are offended by it, if you don't like it, or if you feel that this stuff goes against your religion, your political beliefs, or just it goes against your morality, then you don't have to go. That's where I'd sum it up. Nick, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think this is clearly a cultural flashpoint. It's something that is going to be here to stay for this election. Um, You know, years ago, it used to just be transgenders in sports, and that was a huge topic of discussion, but it never really etched its way outside of the mainstream sort of internet um, discussion where, like, it was very mainstream on the internet, but as far as real life, if you just talk to everyday people, like, maybe they had heard of that one swimmer, but apart from that, it wasn't really a topic that people were talking about. Now it's become a major political flashpoint. We're seeing all the backlash uh, over Pride Month with Target and other brands. And so this just seems to be another domino in that front. But what I will say is that it's clear that this judgment was not political. And so I think that's something that is very interesting because, again, it's someone who was appointed. This judge was appointed by President Donald Trump. And if you just look at Trump and what he's repeating right now, you know, it's very clear that he doesn't really support um, any of this. So. Well, I am actually interested by by that claim because, you know, with the whole Disney thing, Donald Trump has come out in support of Disney. Now, that is surprising because Ron DeSantis is currently attacking Donald Trump on the fact that he's caving to the left and he's caving to Disney and he's caving to these groups. So I do wonder if Donald Trump being Donald Trump, does he change his conversation and his rhetoric to try to win a larger crowd? Because maybe this crowd is already full with too many of the same people that are going, you know, they're anti-woke. If there's too many people like that, maybe Donald Trump does have an advantage for changing his language. And it wouldn't be on heard of because donald trump has technically said that he's in support of disney 
and just in general as the business, not saying he's in support of all the woke stuff, but at the end of the day, that does mean something. Yeah, I'm, so I'm going to echo what Pratik, you had been saying at the beginning. You're like, we don't need to legislate everything. And certainly as a liber- more libertarian-minded person, that's how I'm approaching this. I don't see the need for legislation here at all. I mean, cabaret shows, these drag shows have been going on forever. Um, to make a quick distinction, being a transgender person and being like a drag queen are just different things. Being a drag queen is more like cross-dressing. You could be a, like a straight guy, for instance. Uh, be be a drag queen and that's perfectly acceptable trans transgenderism means you're actually transitioning to the opposite sex and it's not for entertainment um this specifically i mean these shows have existed basically forever it's never been an issue it's only an issue now because of all these conversations around transgenderism it almost seems like we're moving more towards that puritan christian um culturally like socially restrictive environment that we had before the 2000s the pendulum seems to be almost swinging back in that direction which is a little sad and it's a little odd because things like this shouldn't be in question i think you should be able to do these shows now should be kids be exposed to these sorts of things i mean that's up i guess for parents to decide i'm not sure that we need to actually legislate that maybe if you're in elementary school don't hire a drag queen but i don't think we should have to enforce that so i want to ask you a question because we have a lot of older viewers tyler so when it deals with drag queen stuff is this just somebody that is dressing up as a woman for entertainment purposes just to you know be just to have like just for to act like in a comedic sense or does this actually mean anything other than that when someone is a drag queen what does it mean to be a drag queen well i i guess it can mean more but historically it means you're just dressing up like if you're a guy you're dressing up as an overly campy dramatic woman typically you would go on stage you would sing songs you would make jokes a lot of it has to do with comedy it's supposed to be more of an entertainment value thing which is why probably they were hired for these children's shows it wasn't seen as sexual i think there's something where it's like a, a lot of uh, people on the right seem to think that these drag queen shows are like explicitly sexual and i guess they can be but i don't know if that's always the case here um so i i I think that that is an important distinction yeah i think it's not so much and this is my limited understanding of this like i haven't actually attended one of these shows i'm an expert by the way (laughs) but i'm um, again these are book reading events that are targeted to children that are like three to seven so you have someone who dresses up as a woman everyone sort of has a picture of what a drag queen looks like but again, it's not, it's just someone reading books to kids. Like it's not a sexual performance. It's not like someone's at a strip club and doing that in front of a bunch of five-year-olds. Like that's not what this is. Um, but then you'll see random clips of things online. And yeah, so like, I honestly, I'm not really sure. I think for the most part, again, that's like Tyler was saying, it's not an implicitly sexual act in any way. But um, there do certain seem to be some clips online where, you know, it's just sort of unclear what the events are where, you know, for example, people will take a public drag show event that's clearly intended for an older audience, and then they'll clip it in and say, look, this is targeting children. And so I think overall, just with not having attended any of these events, it's very easy, frankly, to get confused. Like, I'm not afraid to admit that. It's kind of confusing where it's like, what actually happens at these shows? And when you look into it, at least on the very limited basis that I have, It really does seem like if you just look up videos and pictures, it's just someone dressed up as a drag queen in front of a bunch of children just reading a child's book. So it doesn't seem to be anything, you know, explicitly sexual in nature. 
But let's say let's say they are they're doing these shows. I I still don't think there's legislation required in any of this. Like these kids, it, we should have good judgment by parents to say that maybe these five year olds don't need to see something that's a little more outrageous and and, and maybe somewhat sexual. Maybe that's not something you want your kids to ex- expose to. So that that's something that should be taken into consideration. I would just hope that there are some adults in the room that are going, this isn't a good idea. We shouldn't be politicizing our kids just to be able to have these drag uh, queens show up to read them books. I mean, it's a bit silly. But like you said, it's not like they're at a strip club. It's not like, hey, kids, gather around the pole. Let me tell you a story. That's, that's not what's going on here. So I, this is actually a really hot topic. And unfortunately, it's a serious topic now because the idea of kids being exposed to things that, that parents don't want is just a huge conversation, whether it's in school or, or otherwise. So this is something, unfortunately, will probably have some effect in the election. So speaking of intense topics, let's talk about Biden's dilly-dally debt dance. So President Joe Biden signed legislation just in time to prevent a potentially catastrophic default of the nation's debt. After weeks of bickering, a compromise was pushed through the House and Senate within 48 hours. Upon signing the bill, Biden looked like the master of compromise. He swooped in to save the nation from a debt disaster. In a video message, Biden preached unity like a wise guru, telling everyone to stop shouting and lower the temperature. He even used the word progress a few times to make it sound like he's got everything under control. On one side, we had the hard left, led by AOC and her squad, begging Biden to not give in to these pesky Republicans. Meanwhile, the far right and the loudmouths from the Freedom Caucus were like, no compromise until you meet all of our demands. It was a real circus in all directions. But hey, after weeks of intense negotiations, they managed to reach a deal. So now everyone's sides got their media attention to captivate their voter bases and everyone wins. The debt limit will be suspended until 2025 and they even threw in some fancy budget targets for the next two years. So now the government can keep borrowing money like there's no tomorrow all while trying to repay the mind-boggling $31.4 trillion debt. What could possibly go wrong? And like usual, everything will be back to normal in a week, as we all forget that we were trying for weeks to prevent a catastrophic default on the nation's debt. So all we can do now is wait for 2025, when the same political theater hits our screens again. And despite maybe new names and new faces, we get to see the same repeat telecast. So, Nick and Tyler, what is your thoughts on the debt circus? One thing I really like about it is that no one is happy with this deal. Like you were saying, progressives don't like the deal. Republicans don't like the deal, or at least in the Freedom Caucus, sort of the hard right of the party. And so no one is happy with this. And unfortunately, it's compromise is a dirty word in Washington, D.C. No one likes to talk about compromise. Even Speaker McCarthy, when he was uh, gave a press conference a couple days ago, just talking about what this deal meant. He really framed it as Biden fighting him every step of the way and refusing to negotiate. And then on the other hand, the Democrats will say the exact same thing about him. And there is no, I I get it. It's an election year. You need to have those butting heads. But, you know, for the longest time in our adult lives, just the three of us on this show, there hasn't been any sort of sense of compromise. And I think that's reflected in the wider electorate. And sadly, that's a shame, but at least they came to an agreement and we didn't go into something like a couple of years ago where the government shut down and it was a total mess. Tyler? Yeah, we talked about this before. We all knew that there was going to be some sort of compromise happening, but 
realistically, the mark of a good deal is when both parties leave a, leave somewhat dissatisfied because you can't get everything you want. We came to a deal here, and that's great. Like you said, compromise is a dirty word, but politicians do actually agree on most things. This is the thing. We talk about a lot of wedge issues, but on fundamental things and fundamental legislation, Republicans and Democrats, they're all agreeing here. No one wants to spend less money. There is no voice out there going, hey, we're $31 trillion in debt. Maybe Ron we should actually tackle what's going on there. <laughs> Yes, Ron Paul and his ghost and his son are doing all they can. Ron and Rand, baby, but guess what? They haven't done crap, and that's okay, because they won't. The government's too big, and, you know, eventually the Ponzi scheme's just going to collapse on top of us. But until then, we get to spend as much as we want. So I guess things well, are One thing well. I thought was really interesting at the press conference was that McCarthy and uh, people close to him, like I think it's Scalise and others, um, or what was the name of the guy who was at, he was at the baseball game a couple years ago and he was shot? Um, is that Steve Scalise or was that someone else? I may be. Yes, missed. I think it's Steve Scalise. So he was up there. And what a few of them on McCarthy's side of the court talked about was they touted it as a major win that for Social Security and Medicaid, you know, programs that, you know, funding, for example, people that are younger have the understanding that Social Security will not be there when they're older. And so basically you have a bunch of young people paying into the system that they know is not going to exist in the future and that they're not going to be able to bank on. Um, one thing they touted for the sustainability of that system was that this compromise, this debt deal, um, brings in more work requirements so that people are incentivized to get off of government benefits. And, you know, through the nature of working a job, not being on as many benefits, uh, essentially welfare, you, they would end up paying more into Social Security and Medicaid, where, again, it's getting people who are younger back to work to pay for old people in their retirement. So I just thought that was an interesting point that they picked out um, because that is something that you will see, uh, you know, every couple of years come up in the Republican Party is this idea of, oh, we need to just make huge cuts to Social Security and Medicaid. They've run rampant. They're out of control. We need to make cuts to the program. And I thought it was really interesting that at this press conference, like they always do, they come up and they say, look, you know, our bill is good for Social Security and Medicare because we've gotten more people off of welfare, which itself is a little ironic. It's like we've gotten people off of government assistance so that we can support other people through government money, <laughs> which I get that there are two different things, right? Social Security, the idea is that you worked for it, you're owed it, you deserve it. And so I get that. But I just thought that was really interesting. Plus, I wanted to bring up the IRS agents. You know, when Sherry Beasley was running in North Carolina, you saw the attack ads where it was Sherry Beasley's in favor of 87,000 IRS agents, they're going to come down on all these normal Americans and make your life hell. And so that was a major part of the political attack ads in North Carolina that helped the Republicans win. And I here, used to work for the guy that ran against Trey Beasley that won. And yeah, he won. Good. Hey, Pratik, you set the <laughs> you set the groundwork for him to get a winning campaign. But as um, an intern, for, let's do it, for baby. The, hey, interns count. So the for the IRS agent thing, that's one thing you'll see with MTG and others, where people on Twitter, particularly conservative Twitter, will really slam McCarthy on the fact that there are still going to be a lot of IRS agents. Sure, there's no new IRS agents, but the overall amount is going to remain unchanged. So Pratik and Tyler, what are your thoughts on both the IRS one, because that's turning into a huge thing, plus Social Security, Medicaid, and the work requirement for benefits, where it's essentially reducing welfare and encouraging people to get back to work. So one thing about Steve Scalise, so Steve Scalise is the House Majority Leader, and he was the one that was gunned down in the past. 
where he was shot at a baseball game. Don't don't say gunned down. Yeah, yeah, I, I, he's right still word. alive. Still yeah, alive. Yeah. It wasn't gunned he's down. He's still he got alive. Shot, you know? but he got shot. He got shot in a baseball field. But Steve Scalise is the House Majority Leader, so he's like the next in line. But in terms of that, um, you know, when I talk about Social Security, Medicare, and all that stuff, again, it's the same thing where everyone is trying to pander to the old people, and no matter what way or fashion that they try to do it, old is gold, baby. Those are the people that vote. Everyone over 65 are the only people in our country that really matter, and everyone's pandering to the old crowd. Democrats are doing it, but they're ha- they're like, you know, trying to cave to the poorer older crowd. And then the Republicans are trying to pander to the rich old crowd. But it's all about the old people, baby. So when it deals with, you know, Social Security and Medicare, in my opinion, all of this is a political circus and theater. It's been so many years. How many ha- how many times have you seen them change any requirements for Social Security and Medicare for the last like hundred years? doesn't really happen much so like all of this stuff is political theater when the next time comes around and let's say a republican is the one in charge of the presidency and then you have the democrats that are in charge of the house and senate the same crap is going to happen where no one is able to get to a compromise and then whenever that happens the things that they will be debating about is trying to reduce move away things that are going to social security and medicare to help incentivize other programs that are more um, beneficial to the more lower income population in the u.s things will change all of that happens though is that this is just a same like repeat telecast that happens every like every two years where we all get all freaked out like the world's gonna end because we have this whole debt ceiling situation but the thing is the world doesn't end our debt ceiling keeps on getting higher um everyone's everyone's always pissed off no one's ever happy the people that are socialist feel like you know in the in the government they feel that you know biden or whoever the regular democrats are, are caving to the republicans whoever's on the far right so you go with the freedom caucus and now right nowadays mtg and that crowd even though jim jordan and freedom caucus those type of people are the ones actually leading the narrative we always refer to the mtgs and boberts and gates and all them but those guys are never happy and if anything those guys just don't have enough support to accomplish anything anyway because Jim Jordan can only get like 30 to 40 people in support of him within his Republican Freedom Caucus, within his Republican side. Even members of the Freedom Caucus don't necessarily vote for Jim Jordan. He's just not a really strong leader that everybody can get behind. So when you deal with this whole thing, it's just the same political theater. Democrats will never have somebody like AOC that's ever going to run the government. Republicans are never going to have some far right nut that's going to run it. Paul Ryan in the past actually reshaped the entire party when he was one of the main faces in the freedom caucus but in reality none of this stuff ever changes same crap's gonna happen two years later same crap's gonna happen four years later and we're still gonna be debating about the same things where we just want to make all the old people in our country happy i yeah i pretty much you said it better than i could say i'm gonna speak more to the irs agents for me it seems like we should be investing in ways for people to be able to pay their taxes easily online why don't we invest in that technology so i mean the irs agents it it is what it is but i would rather that money go to allowing people to being able to pay taxes online that's easy it's free we don't need to go through things like TurboTax. i don't know why we've commoditized paying tax every year it's something that the government's forcing us to give them money for why should we be forced to you know pay TurboTax or something um to actually get that done. So I wish there was just more investment on that side. The fact that there are more IRS agents overall, I mean, I wouldn't have supported that. I wouldn't have pushed that through, but is what it is. Nick, do you have any thoughts on the IRS? Yeah, well, 
what you were talking about in terms of filing your taxes, I think there has been conversation around Intuit TurboTax lobbying the government to basically prevent the IRS from coming out with the tool for people to... I actually just got a settlement, by the way. I got like $30 because in Maryland, there was like a $28 million thing against Intuit TurboTax where they were forcing people to pay for certain services that they didn't have to pay for. And we got Yeah, so that's that. if you make under a certain amount of money. Um, I'm not sure in your case, mm-hmm. Tyler, but... It was in like 2018. It yeah, was so years one ago, thing yeah. that... Um, I don't know if everyone knows that this exists, but if you make below a certain income threshold, I think it's either $60,000 or $65,000 a year. There's a free way that you can do it through the irs to just pay your taxes you don't need to go through into it you don't need to go through anything else right so you don't need to use TurboTax to pay your taxes if you earn below like sixty thousand. but the thing is like it's supposed to be a free service that's the give and take is if you do end up doing that it should be free because it's offered for free by the government to do it anyway um so i don't know that's one thing where at least from what i've seen there's been some investigations into whether or not uh, these tax companies are just lobbying Congress to stop them from passing legislation or to really changing the rules around how people do their taxes. Because I agree with you, it, it would be so much nicer if it's like if the government would already know how much you would owe them anyway, and they audit you to tell them how much you actually owed. It would be nice if they yeah. just provided the tools for you to accurately report your income. <laughs> like that would make sense, right? It would make sense, but we don't do things that make sense. And they talk about simplifying the tax code. That's never gotten anywhere. That's the most BS thing that the, the politicians ever said. We'll simplify the tax code. Give me a break. Let's oh, and I pulled up the statistic from OpenSecrets.org. It's a really good website if you just want to see what groups have lobbied government on different things. So uh, since 1998, the tax prep company Intuit has spent uh, $45 million on federal lobbying. So that just gives you a sense of how much they end up valuing uh, keeping their service as it is without any competition. So, Or not without competition, but without having the government actually make make a comparable tool so let's move on to the presidential election nick what's going on the desantis train has chugged through south carolina so florida governor ron desantis wrapped up his tour of early voting states as a presidential candidate with a lighthearted and emotional visit to south carolina responding to criticisms from former president donald trump desantis defended his belief that dismantling president joe biden's policies and addressing bureaucratic issues would take time emphasizing the need for understanding the levers of power. Very fancy terminology, by the way. But Trump basically criticized DeSantis, saying that Trump could have accomplished in six months what would take DeSantis eight years. And in response, DeSantis said, don't let anyone tell you they can do this in 24 hours or six months or anything like that. This is going to be trench warfare. You've got to understand how to use the levers of power. We pledge to do that. And so DeSantis fired back at the president, Also about Trump's claim that former New York governor Andrew Cuomo, a Democrat, we all remember, did (laughs) Trump said he (laughs) that Cuomo did, quote, better in his COVID-19 response than DeSantis, despite Cuomo's infamous nursing home scandal, where again, a bunch of people died. It was covered up. Uh, And he called the claim DeSantis called Trump's claim very bizarre and said, first of all, Florida has less excess mortality than California or New York. Again, overall mortality, I think, was higher on a you know per capita basis. But leaving that aside, uh, while he didn't mention Trump by name, DeSantis engaged with the crowd, sharing personal connections and showcasing um, sort of how he was connected to South Carolina. I believe his wife um, was in some way connected to the College of Charleston, which she went visited, to College of Charleston, yeah, which is in South Carolina. Yeah. So, you know, 
Always got to turn on the personal connections. That's what, or, by the way, that always cracks me up when a politician is like, oh, yeah, my cousin's niece's nephew went to school here. You know, I just love the area. And it's like, you've spent no time here. Like what? Every single time <laughs> these guys go, it's like always a personal connection. Eh, you know, let it slide sometimes. That's called being a politician. That's how you get to the hearts of the people. You have to pretend like you're basically an everyman and every... Yeah. You ahead. have to be like Biden, where you're like in New Jersey and you think like you're in New York or Vermont. Like, that's the way to do it. You got to get your states wrong whenever you're going. That's the winning... That's the winning mantra. That's how Joe Biden became president, people. You got to remember... We got to forget what state you're in when you're campaigning in that state. <laughs> I agree that it's a thing that you need to do and it's smart. But at the same time, it cracks me up. It's like, I get that he has the actual connection there with his wife who went to school in South Carolina. But like when when DeSantis gets to Wyoming, what's he going to say? Like, honestly, what, uh, like, yes. what in the world? Wyoming, I've flown over you many times. The scenery is great from above. The people are excellent because I've never spoken to them and so on and so forth. But, but Dick it, it, Cheney is from Wyoming and Liz Cheney. Those are the only people we know from Wyoming. Re reeling us back in here. So DeSantis, talking about levers of power, I think like he's probably right. I mean, that's actually how politics works. It's a lot of a working through a bureaucratic mess to get things done. But here's the thing. If he wants to get that MAGA crowd, they're all about smashing the system with a hammer. That was all of Trump. He wanted to attack the system. He didn't want to be methodical. He didn't want to use levers of power. He wanted to tell you how it was and get things done. And I think that is a stronger message, generally speaking, than what DeSantis has presented here. Although, if I'm talking about effectiveness as a politician, this is the kind of thing I personally would want to hear my politicians saying. Saying they're going to be strategic about how they get things done and how they dismantle certain programs. Um, so... Look, I mean, I, it's going to be hard to get some of those Trump supporters. That's what he's trying to do right now. And his message is Trump can't win. I'm the only person that can win. And I get that. But there is an element to Trump that you, you're just losing with DeSantis. And I'm really curious to see how this plays out in the polls. And on the COVID response, I'm not exactly sure. But we like Cuomo, people were praising him for a long time about his COVID response until that nursing home incident. So, you know, I, I do. You, do we know when Trump made that statement? Was it during COVID? No, no, this was now. Yeah, I mean, that's just a stupid, like idiotic state. I think Trump's starting to lose it, to be I honest. Agree. Like, if you see his posts on Truth Social, he's turning into, like, just, I mean, he's always been kind of a crazy person, but, like, it's getting worse. I don't know if it's, like, age or if it's he's in a bubble. I don't know what's going on. But he's been saying some crazy stuff lately. I do think, as I've said, that if more and more people enter the race like they are, it's helping Trump. But if literally it was just Trump and DeSantis, DeSantis can actually probably hold his own. Like, he's not that bad of a candidate. Like, he's done pretty decent. I mean, I will say one thing about DeSantis and all these people is they're very politically correct when it deals with someone, whenever anybody attacks them. Like, Trump attacked them on, like, you know, it attacked him saying that Cuomo did a better job than him with his COVID response. If it was, like, Trump, if somebody attacked Trump and Trump was the governor, Trump would have been like, that guy was a disaster. How can you compare him to me? This shows that that person just is not mentally fit, doesn't have the mental to acuity to be president he would have framed it in a way where you'd be like yeah trump's on attack mode again ron DeSantis and all these people need to learn that like that this was like basically a softball throw he could have taken this in any direction just saying very bizarre and then giving some statistics about how florida has less mortality rates than california and new york doesn't sell it to the audience 
you have to be able to be like, this guy is so stupid that he's comparing me to Cuomo. The guy didn't realize whenever he was president that there was this whole big nursing home scandal going around where hundreds of thousands of people died. Like, that's where he should sell yeah. it. The fact that Ron DeSantis doesn't do that is what is not his X factor. He needs to learn to do that. And if he does that, I really do think he has a chance. If he said that... Uh, if he said Trump must have not have been paying attention because if you if you were there during Cuomo's governance during his COVID response, you would see that X, Y, Z, all these problems occurred. And that would have been a much more effective response. I think you're right, Pratik. I just don't think he's very good at it. Like he could try to turn it on. I just don't think that's who he is or what he has been. But Nick, thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to say, I frankly, I think what Trump is saying, it's kind of funny because when you think of who opposed Trump, like who is the face of the Democrats opposing Trump and how he handled COVID and telling the president that he was doing a bad job on a national basis. It was Cuomo. Cuomo went on TV like every night and said, here are the latest statistics for New York. Here's what's going on in COVID. We are doing it the right way. Everyone should follow us. And at the time, all the major networks were taking a, you know, really criticizing Florida for how poorly it was mismanaging things. I mean, we all remember the videos of spring break where you had all these people during peak COVID going down to the beaches in Florida to go party and just spreading the disease like no tomorrow. So like Florida was not seen as this ideal idyllic state. But of course, on the other side, it was okay. They didn't have as many restrictions. Like, for example, New York, when they had the vaccine passport stuff to get into bars, Like, a lot of people thought that that was overreach, that that was just going too far. Um, Whereas Florida was a lot more relaxed about it. And it was like, oh, look, you know, we're not going to, you know, pry into that. You do whatever you want. No big deal. And granted, they did take some, you know, steps here and there. But, you know, Florida, Florida really didn't do much in response to COVID. And it's touting that as a major victory, which, again, is ironic because going back a couple of years, I think it's something that really plays well to the Republican base because they were very anti-lockdown. When you think of people who voted by mail and who stayed home and were just scared of COVID in general, you think of Democratic voters. You don't think of Republican voters. So I I think in a way, like, I just find it hilarious that the guy who went after Trump and was seen as the anti-Trump on COVID, Cuomo, now Trump turns around and says, oh, DeSantis is worse than that guy. And even though Trump spent his entire presidency saying how good DeSantis was and how well Florida was doing and managing it because it matched what he wanted to do, now he's turning around and just because he's running against him goes back on all of that history and says, no, he was even worse. And so he's like reinventing what happened when it just doesn't match reality. Like he said the exact opposite when he was actually president and actually needed support. Yeah, but but it's not weird because... Um, Trump doesn't actually hold vendettas. That's something about Trump. He just, if, if, if like, uh, because Cuomo's not against Trump right now, it doesn't matter. He can praise Trump. It actually doesn't matter. He's not competing against uh, Cuomo. So it, he, it, he could use him however he wants to. Um, but with that, let, let's move on to some other presidential candidates in this race. Pratik? So we talked about people that, you know, will go back on the word and then they forget what they talked about and what they said previously. A big example of that is Chris Christie. So Chris Christie is back to make political comedy great again. It's time for another to join the loud and crowded GOP primary party. Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor and ex-2016 candidate, is all but set to announce his bid for the 2024 presidential race in New Hampshire. Let me take you, da- take you on a trip down memory lane. 
Remember, when he ran in 2016 and got overshadowed by Donald Trump? Well, he's back to challenge his former bestie and position himself as a traditional conservative alternative. It's like a reality show where ex-friends turn enemies and the drama just keeps unfolding. He also famously butchered Marco Rubio's presidential chances where he made him look like a robot on repeat. So the question is, will he drag others down with him or will he tie the knot with a candidate that he will mock four years later when he doesn't receive any political favors in a quid pro quo fashion? For, from cozying up to President Obama during Superstorm Sandy to getting tangled up in the Bridgegate scandal, his political journey can be described as anything but orthodox. Despite leaving office as the state's least popular governor and his abysmal performance in the 2015 GOP primary, he's ready to give it another shot. Will he succeed this time or will he remain a political joke? Nick and Tyler, what are your thoughts on Chris Christie? Who has a positive view of Chris Christie? Who around him is saying, you know what, Chris? You know what the country needs right now? They need you. You're going you're gonna to turn the ship around. You're going to save everything. You're going to clean up the mess. You are the future of America. Who is telling Chris Christie that? I would love to know. Because like Tyler, do you have a positive impression of the man? Like, do you... Uh, do you think anything of him? I think of him, yes. No. Um, I, I will say that this is the clearest example of someone joining the race simply to get political points for themselves. There is there is zero chance Chris Christie has a significant impact in this presidential cycle, in my opinion. he Like you said, no one likes him. No one respects the guy. At this point, he's been irrelevant for so long. It seems like he's only doing this to get his name back out there, which, you know, is fine. You're a politician. You want to do that. But just another, you know, another person in the race is starting to get a little crowded here. I think he's actually a pretty smart guy. Like when you saw him on stage the last time, he's the person who took down Marco Rubio uh, with the whole robot Rubio thing where Marco Rubio had memorized a bunch of lines to say at the debates. And Chris Christie said, like, Marco, like, you know, he basically said that's all regurgitated. It's pre-prepared. You know, it's the pivot and turn, whatever. You have no actual thoughts on this. You're just repeating whatever someone wrote for you. And then Marco Rubio said the same thing he was saying like two or three times. And Chris Christie kept calling him out on it because Rubio just froze. He kept saying the same thing. And like that was a brilliant performance. So I don't know, maybe there's some credence to to lend to him running for the presidency because when he's on the debate stage, he does have those moments where he can totally eviscerate the other person and come out looking like a smart guy. But at the same time, like his record in New Jersey, oftentimes governors have a good shot of running for the president. But Pratik, what do you think of the guy? You're a Republican. What are your thoughts? So I remember whenever I was one of those people that was um, in college and I was all excited about the GOP primaries and it was like 16 or 17 different candidates. And the person I didn't like at the time with the passion was Chris Christie for a lot of different reasons. I was one of those Rand Paul supporters that was like, yeah, we need liberty. We need freedom. No, you're a Jeb Bush Chris supporter. Chris Christie's all about. Yeah, yeah. I was also a Jeb Bush supporter. I flip-flopped, man. I was like one of them dilly-dallies, you know. <laughs> but when it dealt with Chris In Christie, yeah. my big challenge with Chris Christie was that his his whole thing is he was too much big government. He's like who you think of as you think when you think of a big government Republican. 
And Chris Christie fits the mold of what any Republican would be that would get elected from New Jersey. Like a Republican from New Jersey and a Republican from Massachusetts or New York or any of those places where if you'd have a Republican governor, they'd be pretty similar to Chris Christie. Like I would argue that Mitt Romney was kind of similar to Chris Christie in a lot of his actual policies. So I do think one thing with Chris Christie though too is he actually has opinions. Nowadays coming back, if I was to go back and see which of these candidates that I think was probably the best suited to be become the president of the United States, Chris Christie's up there. I think Chris Christie was a better candidate looking back in 20, you know, looking back in 2023 from 2015 that he was a much more he was a much better candidate in terms of who can actually run the country as opposed to somebody like Ted Cruz as opposed to someone like Marco Rubio someone like you know Rand Paul these people are all senators with Chris Christie he did actually deal with a lot of problems when he was in New Jersey the big problem that Chris Christie had was whenever this Hurricane Sandy situation happened and he hugged Obama people remembered that and it just didn't work out well with the voter bases but I remember the answers if you were to go back to 2015 and you just look at how he responded to Rand Paul, how he responded to Marco Rubio, it was brilliant. Like, the thing is that nowadays, like, if you really think about it, the stuff that Chris Christie said on how he was going to actually solve problems and whenever 9-11 happened and what he did and what was his response and how he handled it and all these different challenges that he faced, he actually has answers. Plus, the fact is that he won in New Jersey. There's not that many Republican governors that you will see elected in New Jersey. And in order to win in New Jersey as a Republican, you have to be very well liked and you have to have a lot of good answers. Because if you don't, you're not never going to beat a Democrat in New Jersey. That's like seeing a Republican win in like, you know, win in South Carolina or a Democrat win in South Carolina. Like that doesn't happen much. So I do think that if you look at it, all this stuff in this particular perspective, I do think that Chris Christie does have a chance is just how he sells himself. And the problem is, is that for me that I think the biggest challenge with Chris Christie is, is that he kind of did basically throw Trump under the bus. If anybody, we can say that, oh yeah, this guy was Trump's best friend and then, you know, Trump didn't support him and yada yada way and then it basically made him turn. Chris Christie is the perfect example. Chris Christie was at the time being looked at as being the vice president candidate to Donald Trump whenever Donald Trump ran. He was also being looked at as being a secretary of state candidate, someone looking secretary of defense. There was all kinds of positions that were being thrown around for Chris Christie. And Chris Christie got nothing. He basically came out of that election and basically got nowhere from it. And the fact that he decided to endorse Donald Trump actually hurt him in his own situation as New Jersey governor. So all of that stuff coming back, like I do think Chris Christie was just, you know, the wrong person there at the wrong time. But I do think that he had a lot of good opinions. And I want to see in this new primary if he's able to do that. And I do think the best thing about Chris Christie is Chris Christie actually took people down with him. There's no one else that you can say they actually took people down. Chris Christie killed Rand Paul. Chris Christie killed Marco Rubio. Chris Christie probably ended up killing John Kasich to a large degree too because he actually had actual answers on dealing with actual hard problems that John Kasich didn't. So I do think that's important. But that's where I end my saga of Chris Christie. Critique, I also remember watching those debates in college and also getting excited just watching the political process. It was the first election that I was really excited about, and I was really curious about what the debates would be. And it's, I really like the fact that you took away those substantial, like clear intellectual takeaways, 
because all I remember from some of the debates um, was Trump <laughs> coming in and for Rand Paul. I don't remember Chris Christie. I, he made fun of his head. No, so Trump basically <laughs> made fun of the way he looked, called him short, said that he didn't even have enough in the polls to even be on the stage. So Trump was like, who even is this guy? Get him out of here. And then for um, John Kasich, I remember Trump made fun of the way the guy ate pizza, which was honestly the crime against humanity. He ate it with a fork and knife and all this other stuff. And it's like, Kasich, don't don't do that. But in any case, like that's what I remember about it. And so I definitely appreciate you bringing your perspective and what Chris Christie actually did, because I think it's easy for a lot of us to forget about. And honestly, I just wanted to say it's a shame that just hugging the president after a national disaster happens. Like, it's a shame that that has become, you know, such an issue. Like the fact that that's seen as a bad thing, that he was in any way nice to Obama when the president visited his state that just got hit by a hurricane. The fact that that's seen as a bad thing, I don't know. I just, I guess I just wish it was different, but I understand why not. And like you were saying, New Jersey is a very Democrat-centric stronghold. It has been for 30 years, but at the same time, it's sort of like Massachusetts where you'll have Republican governors. I actually think New Jersey's 50-50, where if you pick like a random year in the last 40 years, whether you have a Republican or Democrat, I think there's equal odds, where even though, yes, it's a liberal state, overall, you're going to have a lot of Republican governors in New Jersey and also a lot of other states that you would find surprising. I think sometimes they flip Republican once there's fiscal issues. They tend to turn that way. And especially after 9-11 with Christie, like you were saying, he has those credentials, so it makes it easier for him to run, which, by the way, is a little funny that he says he was appointed by the president in the wake of 9-11 when he was actually appointed a couple months after it happened. So it's like, what was the what was the immediacy, Chris? Like, what happened? But Tyler, what are your thoughts on it? The country's falling apart. Chris Christie, we're calling you. <laughs> no. So I'm looking at Chris Christie's positions. I actually, he's actually more, more conservative than I thought. He's pro-life. He's actually against um, gay marriage, for instance. Um, there are certain things that did surprise me here. But I will say he hasn't really made much many moves on the culture war front. And that's where Trump and DeSantis seem to dominate. And we've had conversations uh, just questioning how much of an impact that will have in the election. And whether you think it will or not, I think we could all agree it will have some impact. If you're very passionate about these wedge issues, you go to someone like Trump or DeSantis because you know they will fight for you on those issues. But Chris Christie, I mean, he hasn't been in the news much, and he, but he also hasn't had that much of an impact in these culture wars altogether. So do you think based off that he stands a chance? Because it seems like he's conservative enough um, to get the vote. But at the same time, I'm not sure if he's active enough in the culture to really get people excited about voting for Chris Christie. I think if it was... I don't think he stands a Yeah, chance. I think if it was Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis, you know, maybe he would shine in some way. But with Trump on the stage, I mean, we can all remember Chris Christie. Really, once he dropped out, he was really there to support Trump through the whole thing. So to see them fight, I think just wouldn't happen. And because of and that, I think he would lose. Thing? And one other thing, an element that we never talk about, but we should, and this is the thing that none of the media talks about it because Democrats think every all the Republicans are right-wing nutjobs, but this is an actual thing where this is a liberal Republican voter base demographic that you're trying to capture. Donald Trump did capture this element. This is an element that no one really focuses on, but that is actually a big part of what made him even stand out over Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio in a lot of these northern states. In winning the GOP primaries. The people from Northern America are more liberal in terms of Republicans than the people from the South. And I do think that that is a very important element 
And with Chris Christie, he does have that somewhat of a spark about him. Mitt Romney won those people in the past. I mean, that that is the actual voter base that everyone. But no what is liberal about him? But they do exist. Like, what are examples? Well, you know, I mean, just the way that he actually coordinated different things, the way that he's discussed certain topics. Like, I'm not like a big, like, I don't really remember all that well, but I do remember whenever I was looking at all this stuff and whenever I was involved in our GOP party, like that at that time, he was seen as the most liberal guy. Like, I don't really know what makes him more liberal. It's the fact that he's more about, you know, raising more, increasing spending. He's more about doing more things to try to, he's more about like any of those people from those places. Like somebody like Mitt Romney that exists, like they did more universal healthcare stuff. They did more things to increase infrastructure spending. They did more stuff to increase the amount of spending going to public education. All of that stuff, the non-wedge issues that are like what can make someone more liberal and more conservative. Chris, Christie actually fits all those boxes so I do think that that element is one thing that with Chris Christie it will make him stand out a little bit more compared to all these other people that are just seen as anti-woke socially conservative candidates like there's just too many of them if anything this guy is a different flavor to it all if Chris Sununu runs then Chris Christie's basically wiped out too but that's just my theory with that yeah I'm going through his policy positions I don't see too many things that are liberal but at the same time you're right just being a governor from New Jersey I just in my mind associate him with being more of a moderate Republican whether that's actually true or not um, but it's all perception at the end of the day but hey with that let's move on we got Trump Nick what is going on with Trump so let's take a look at the hair-raising revelation that's got prosecutors buzzing in Trump's classified confession. So according to CNN, federal prosecutors have an audio recording from 2021 in which former President Donald Trump admitted to keeping a classified Pentagon document about a potential attack on Iran after leaving the White House. The recording suggests that Trump understood that he retained classified material and expressed a desire to share the information but Trump was aware of the limitations on his ability to declassify documents after his presidency. Trump's representative denied any wrongdoing, called the investigation politi politically motivated. And for context, the Justice Department is investigating whether Trump violated the law by retaining the classified government records after leaving office. We've all heard about the raid on Mar-a-Lago. And so with the Justice Department playing detective, trying to figure out if Trump actually violated any laws by hanging on to those government records, it's like a high stakes game of did Trump break the rules and everyone's here waiting for a verdict. So let's see if the stash gets him in hot water or if it's all just a classified misunderstanding. Pratik and Tyler, what are your thoughts on the CNN recording, which, mind you, I tried to look for, could not actually find it. We're just going off of some CNN source that claims to have the audio recording, but, you know, it's not out there in public. None of us could listen to it for ourselves if we wanted to at this point. I, I mean, I think altogether the Durham report is actually way more, it should have more of an impact in people's minds than something like this. The fact that there was a 300-page report that came out saying the FBI had no justification for connecting uh, Trump to Russia throughout all of the 2016 uh, investigation that ended up lasting years and certainly did affect people's perception of Trump. To me, that's the biggest scandal around Trump right now. S things like this with classified documents, I just don't think people care. Like, if you support Trump, do you care at all what goes on about these classified documents? I just don't have much of an impact. So for me, this is kind of relevant. The Durham report, I think, vindicated a lot of Trump supporters and kind of like made them feel 
made them feel like there actually was this deep state conspiring to go against Trump. And overall, that's the biggest thing I think people are probably looking out for and not necessarily this, even if there is an audio recording. Pratik? Yeah, I don't have much opinion on this, but I do think that this is one of the things that might hurt him with moderates. Just certain things like this, like this whole like document holding and Mar-a-Lago and all this stuff. I really don't think any Republican really cares. But this is for those people that are going to vote for him in the moder in the general that because I do see Donald Trump being the G GOP candidate at the moment. If something changes six months down the road, like I don't know, but at the moment, based on the polling data and what we are seeing, especially with everyone's mom, dad and sister wanting to join the presidential election, I do think that that stuff is helping Donald Trump. And with this stuff, when it comes to the general, I do think it will have some impact. Any negative story about Trump, whether it's the E. Jean Carroll story, whether it's these like, you know, this videotape stuff, whether it's the stuff about, you know, him holding documents in Mar-a-Lago and all this stuff, it will play some influence because there's a lot of left-leaning moderates that are probably debating on whether they want to vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden. They may see Joe Biden as being an old guy that has not has lost touch, but then they'll also look at Trump and be like, you know, this guy has done all the sketchy stuff. So those kind of people are where you're going to get hit. But I do think in the GOP primaries, none of this stuff matters. And I don't think anybody is going to not vote for Trump because of some random video relevate, uh, you know, thing that only CNN was able to see and know about what was going on. Where all these other news sources have said that they need more information to figure out what was actually happening because there's a lot of unidentified sources from CNN. Like that stuff, I don't really think matters that much. And even if they were identified sources, I still don't think it'd matter that much in the primaries primary cycle but again i could be wrong the basket of supporters that are like more liberal republicans let's say i don't think there are that many of them like i think especially with trump people are so there divisive are. i don't know if there are that many people on the fence about joe biden and trump i do i haven't I spoken to any people that are like oh maybe trump oh maybe biden it seems like if biden can literally stand on a podium and speak they're probably going to go for that guy if they hate trump I do think that it matters a lot in northern states. So when you deal with states like Connecticut, when you deal with states like Massachusetts, and yet to remember, even though in the general, these places are definitely going to vote for Biden, but in the primaries, they're going to vote in the GOP primary. So those people in general are not that right-leaning as opposed to the rest of the country where Republicans do have a stronger red wave. Like, those places are going to vote Democrat in the general, but when it comes to the primaries, that stuff does play some influence. And I do think a lot more of the more of the people from the North, no matter whether they vote Democrat or Republican, tend to lean more liberal than they do conservative. That's where I would say, and those are your liberal Republicans. Those are the places that are the reason why Donald Trump won by a landslide in 2016, because they weren't going to go support Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio against Donald Trump, because Donald Trump is a native to the North. Like, even though he's from Florida, a lot of these people that are like your New York Republicans and your Massachusetts Republicans and your like, you know, Connecticut Republicans, those people are all supporting Donald Trump over all the other primary options. And I do think that that's an underestimated part of Donald Trump is he does have that liberal Republican vote. 
Like, the question is, is whether any of these other people would actually, you know, stand out more because Donald Trump has a lot of these controversies. But whenever these controversies happen, this may influence some stuff. But I do think that by the time it gets up to the northern states to actually decide their vote, apart from the New Hampshire primary, maybe, like, I do think that's where it's going to be telling whether Donald Trump has, you know, solidified that voter base or has that voter base moved to somebody else. I'm looking for some data right here. I, I think DeSantis is going to win a lot of these northern states, actually. I, I think that, like, really? just, yeah, just like, at least from the people I know, the people I speak to, people are just aren't that keen on Trump anymore, um, as far as I could tell. But they were, they did, they did support him in 2016. They, no, that certainly did. People. But guess what? You don't have baggage when you aren't a politician, and he's been a politician now. Even though he hasn't been in office the past few years, Trump is still considered a politician. And, you know, that's almost eight years under his belt. He, and he's acquired a lot of baggage during that time. He's very divisive. And Biden, he, he's, a, you know, he's very milk toast. He's like tapioca. He's very bland. But guess what? I think people would rather have that than someone that's, you know, out, outrageous, especially Hardcore, in a you know. very chaotic time and period in history, I suppose, uh, with what's going on in the world and domestically. Well, Tyler, we have someone else so running who's a, a bit of a firebrand. She's all exciting Uh-oh. all the time. Uh-oh. Tyler, why don't you tell us about Liz Cheney? The sore loser wants to drag the GOP down with her. Hold on to your seats. Liz Cheney, the ultimate Trump critic that took a tumble in her own backyard, wants to show how she will take revenge against Donald. After slamming and voting to impeach the former president, Dick Cheney's eldest daughter lost her election primary to Harriet Hagman, a diehard Trump advocate in an overwhelming fashion. Hegman decides, uh, dedicates her win to Trump's unwavering endorsement, of course. So now with Wyoming choosing Trump over her, she's considering throwing her hat in for the presidential ring in 2024 as a third-party candidate. In her criticism of Trump, Cheney said, quote, I am focused on making sure that Donald Trump isn't anywhere close to the Oval Office again, and I'm going to continue to make sure to do everything I can to uh, both to ensure that and also to make sure that other election deniers are not elected. So you got Liz Cheney entering those. I personally have so much hatred for Dick Cheney. I could never vote for another Cheney, regardless of their policy positions. Personally, what are you guys' thoughts on this? She's throwing her hat in the ring as a third party. Probably not as serious. You know, she's not a Republican or Democrat. Does she have any sway, any power? Or is she going to have any impact here in the election? I actually think she loses votes. Because if she decides to go as a third-party candidate, I mean, she was Dick Cheney's daughter. I mean, you have to remember that as an actual important thing is that her father was the vice president of the United States during one of the most divided times in our country when 9-11 happened. Like, people remember who Liz Cheney is. The fact that she lost in such a landslide, you know, overwhelming, like, you know, defeat is actually kind of sad for her chances because if she can't win Wyoming... And that Wyoming being like literally famous for two politicians, Dick Cheney and Liz Cheney. Nobody knows any of the other politicians from Wyoming. If she can't win Wyoming, I really don't think she can win the country, especially as a third party candidate, because all you end up doing as a third party candidate is just taking votes away from the Republican Party because people will just vote for her because she's Dick Cheney's daughter. She hasn't accomplished much other than that. And the stuff that she is famous for her, like, you know, fights against Donald Trump and trying to do all this investigation and all this stuff i doubt any democrat is going to be like well i need to support liz cheney over you know joe biden because as you said tyler they're going to remember that you know who dick cheney was they're not going to like you know just 
switch and be like, you know, screw Joe Biden. I'm going to go support Liz Cheney because she fought against Trump. That doesn't exist. Those, are those I don't even know who her voter base is. Like her voter base is definitely not from Wyoming because they lost. She lost to Harriet Hagman, who no one really knew of her as much. She did, it was a governor candidate in the past, but the only reason she won was because Trump endorsed her. So if that's all it takes, I really don't think that Liz Cheney has a chance. Someone that was maybe in their 30s, 40s when 9/11 happened, and then we got into the Iraq War and the chaos that's caused over the past 20 years. I, I don't those are those are the primary voters nowadays and I just can't see uh, while that name has some weight simply because he was VP I can't see her getting that many votes having that much of an impact without Trump's endorsement she's nothing we're not going to see her in the news that much she's only in the news because because of her name like you said Pratik so and her hatred to and Trump. her hatred to Trump she was like but that's yeah I mean Trump's Trump's mean to everyone you could be mean to Trump but it's not going to have much of an impact she's probably not going to be on any debate stage I don't see her being very popular in the media um, altogether but Nick let's get your thoughts on this yeah so the fact that you can't even win your own race in your own state stay out of politics like don't run for the next office don't try to fail up in this it's a losing battle it's embarrassing don't do it the only reason why she's running is to draw attention to Donald Trump and try to siphon votes away from him. That's the only reason why she's running, the only reason she would announce. And frankly, I think that's the only reason Mike Pence would run. And I think if anything for Mike Pence, it's something like sort of salvaging his own reputation. But at the same time, at least for Mike Pence, if you look back historically, if you look at someone like George Herbert Walker Bush, so Bush Sr., when he lost to Reagan and then went on to go win the presidency later, that was within the context of the presidential election. So you can lose a presidential election for the primary process, at least within your party, come back the next time and it's established practice that you can actually do well, if not just win the presidential election, even if you come in second in the primary process. But in this case, this is not a primary. This is your own state election. This is not the national stage. And if you get absolutely destroyed at your state, why bother running? It's not a real run. She's not going to do well. And if anything, this is really just to go after Donald Trump and draw attention to any character flaws that he has and the fact that they had beef. I really think she's only running as a dig against Trump and not because she has any sense that she's going to win. And if anything, maybe on a very small level, it's to try to salvage her family's name. Maybe that's it. Because again, people in her state love Trump. That's why she lost. Like, we can joke about Trump endorsing candidates in other areas and then having them win or lose and talking about, oh, was it really Trump's endorsement? Is, it, is that the reason they won? The fact that she went against Trump is why she lost. Like, just dead, like, that's just how it is. Like, that is the fact. If she didn't go against Trump, she probably would have run one re-election, but she chose to stand up to the president, and because of that, got absolutely destroyed because her own voter base likes Trump a lot. And it's like, how are you going to run again? You already have a tainted public image and try to challenge this president. You are not going to. She's just going to fall flat on her face. This is not a real run for president. So speaking of someone who their voter base really likes Trump a lot, let's talk about Mike Pence. So can Trump's sidekick be the future of America? So the man that can't stand up for himself will now stand up for you as he aims to declare his candidacy for president. 
Former Vice President Mike Pence is set to announce his run for president on June 7th in Des Moines, Iowa. The former vice president who couldn't overturn the election results is now set to overturn the hearts and minds of the people to support him over his former boss. Despite his teary-eyed testimony when Trump supporters chanted hang Mike Pence, all eyes will be on him as he tries to win those same people by convincing them to abandon Donald Trump. So, Nick and Tyler, what are your thoughts on Trump's sidekick running for president of America? Sure, let me break this down for everyone in detail. No. Nick, do you have any thoughts? Also no. <laughs> there you go. Look, I mean, a lot of what you said about Cheney applies to Pence because it's like he was Trump's VP and then Trump turned on him, obviously, after January 6th and that, that whole debacle. And he's not even the most prominent socially conservative running anymore. So what leg does Pence have to stand on? Why is he running? I guess is my question to you guys. Why, why do you think Pence is running? Because, you know, he wants to show that he's better than Donald Trump and he's going to make America greater than Donald I, Trump did. I think it's also Obviously, personal you know. reputation. If you had Mike Pence and Donald Trump on the stage together and they got along fine, I think that would end up cementing Pence's legacy as someone who is on Trump's team and not someone who the Republican base should hate. And I do think one thing about Mike Pence, too, is just... You know, he's kind of a weird person that he even chose to be vice president to begin with. This has to be some form of party decision because I doubt Donald Trump knew who Mike Pence was before well, he made Mike it Pence makes sense. He was the president. There's no way it in hell. Sense. He was the social conservative. Yeah. Trump at the time was seen as that New York That's liberal true. guy. and that so. That is fair. But he also never had probably ever had any interactions with Mike Pence. Which is also fair. Have, but he helped him made him Mike Trump Pence is very strategic <laughs> about what states he needs to win. And he needed Pence to win certain states to get a, you know enough electoral votes to win the presidency. That's so I, I think he was very calculated in that regard. I don't know if it was his party or him, but certainly. Do you he was think a good he pick can the win time. the Iowa caucus? Do you think he can win the Iowa caucus, no. Nick? No, he dude. is pretty close. I mean Indiana and Iowa is like, you what know, what gets next me door about neighbors. Pence is that you know, for all, all right, I know we're coming to the close of the show, but here's a small little thing about Pence. So conservative evangelicals, oftentimes you will hear them talk about traditional family values. And I know that they don't actually believe this, but as a joke, I would say Mike Pence is like a housewife from the 1800s where they were just expected to sit there, do all the dirty work, you know, oh take any God. verbal abuse and just like not be an actual full person of equal standing within the household. Mike Pence like was like a housewife from a couple hundred years ago, right? Trump was like, sit there, shut up, and just do whatever I tell you to do. That's what Trump did to Pence. And when COVID came, it's hilarious to me that when COVID comes, right, this is a huge issue. It's like, what could define your presidency? And if you do a bad job, it's going to absolutely skewer your reputation and ruin your legacy. And what does he do? He says, oh, I'm going to put Mike Pence on this. Mike, you are in charge of the COVID efforts. And he would throw up Mike as the guy to go on TV and talk about stuff. And of course it didn't go well. So it's like at every turn, like what has Trump done that has been good for Mike Pence? I don't think it's been anything. And at the same guy, <laughs> at the same time, Pence is a loyal supporter. Like when he's pressed about it, he will push back and say, oh, the president was wrong to go after his family, to go after him, and that that was wrong. But at the same time, he supports everything that the president stands for. He supports everything that Trump tried to do. So on 
it's just a little sad. I wish he had more of a backbone. He's basically but, a whip but that he's is politically in, he's correct. He's in a bit of a corner where he can't go out and oppose the president and say what a bad guy he is because in doing so, he's going to torpedo some of his own legacy, right? Like, how would that look? Everyone knows that Trump goes after even people that he's close with. But for Pence to go after Trump, like the second that would happen, it would be even worse for him. So he's just in a tough spot right now. I really think this is to... And not even to salvage to get votes away from Trump. I think it's really just to have some sort of reconciliation to get his face out there. And again, to sort of cement his legacy as a positive one among Republicans and not as one where everyone blames him for January 6th, which, by the way, he had no control over. So, yeah. Yeah. And we could talk about that forever. But look, Pence, especially with COVID, you're right. I think Trump picked him because he knew it was like a lose-lose. Like, there was no winning on the COVID front. Pence, this is all yours. Um, and while, uh, of course, Trump was blamed for a lot of what happened, Pence did take hold. He was there at every press conference. It seemed like he was working his butt off. Yeah. And let's be real here. Pence, ultimately, I mean, he has very socially conservative views. You might disagree. But as a politician in person, he seems like a decent guy. Um, but unfortunately, that's not what you know gets you elected. It's not going to help him here. Maybe it is simply to recoup some of what he lost um, in, ter- in terms of uh, the public's perception of him. But, you know, in, in terms of the public's perception of Trump, you know, we recently had this report come out that, you know, kind of blew up people's thoughts about what had been going on with these investigations. So, Pratik, what happened? So, blast from the past. Two-week-old story. We just wanted to bring this up. The Russian hoax was actually a hoax. So, the long-awaited report on the FBI's investigation into Trump, Russia ties, is out. It criticized the FBI for major flaws, but reveals no significant revelations. Trump supporters see it as proof of a politically motivated witch hunt, while opponents downplayed significance. FBI prosecutor John Durham, appointed in 2019, found the FBI acted recklessly, relying on unverified information and displaying confirmation bias. The report highlights the need for reform and transparency. Republicans like Representative Jim Jordan call for hearings, and Trump claims it's the crime of the century. The report strengthens the belief by Republicans that the investigation was a Democrat-driven hoax. So this is the weird saga of the 2016 to 2020 time period where literally since day one of Trump's presidency, there'd been this story that, you know, Russians were involved in hacking and influencing the election in some form or way. The way that we consider hacking and influencing is all varied where we don't really know what that means. It has all different explanations and different ideas on what that necessarily means. And there's all kinds of different elements that went on. Me and Nick have talked about this in the past. But one thing that's weird about this is that, you know, this stuff went on for a while. Then obviously, like, you know, with this John Durham guy that was appointed, he had this big report. Everybody was expecting and anticipating this report to show how Donald Trump was, his election was all rigged and it was stolen. And you know how the Russians were involved in the actual manipulation of the election. But then what happened is like the 300 report, uh, 300 page report basically revealed that none of that stuff was really true. It was just a lot of stuff that was all confirmation bias that led to there becoming an actual witch hunt, 
which what Trump talks about, you know, there's a witch hunt against me. This is basically saying that there actually was some form of witch hunt against him, especially with the Russian stuff. Now, again, all the other new stuff, that's different. But from back in the day, this was the main storyline about Trump was he was Putin's puppet and Putin was the reason why Donald Trump was the president of the United States. Yeah, I think the most disgusting part about this is like James Comey profited from this whole situation. I remember it was 2017. I had just gotten out of college. I was working for a finance company. I was at an ETF conference. He was giving a speech, you know, selling his book, talking about how great the FBI was, about this whole Russia investigation, all that. He profited greatly off this, and it was based off nothing. And the fact that we have to vindicate these Trump supporters to say that there actually was some deep state manipulation against Trump, the guy you're supporting, is super sad because it just it's going to ignite that flame again and just create more division. And it's just really bad look for our country altogether. And the FBI especially. I've seen some reports saying the FBI after this has like changed some policies or some procedures. Then I've also seen some other things say they actually haven't changed anything at all. And this is all just a little political theater to get the public to quiet down over this whole situation. It's really sad that we can't trust these three-letter agencies as much as we like to um that it's just not a good look for the government it's gonna you know change people's perception of that and how much they're gonna trust these people and the information they put out ultimately when these investigations happen in the future are people going to think they're a witch hunt or that there's actual proof behind it because in this case there was no actual evidence to base this investigation off other than a hunch and that's not what the fbi should be doing ultimately yeah so in 2020 the senate uh, Intelligence Committee, I think, released in a thousand page report on this and basically detailed Trump, the campaign connections to the Russians, to Putin. And so this is old news on that. Um, it's clear that Stone and Manafort are total scumbags. They've done it in the past. But again, it's not Trump individually. And so I think we can all at least rest easy in the sense that the president himself was not compromised. The president himself didn't have these issues, you know, Manafort, I think, is still in jail for other reasons, but um, it's like there were people working on his campaign and it was such a ragtag campaign. Like we all remember, like, who is his campaign manager that like he was actually doing a really good job and then he got kicked out for someone else. I'm forgetting the guy's name, but like Trump's campaign was total chaos where you had people coming in left, right and center. And it just created an opportunity for people like Paul Manafort to you know, sell access and services to basically, you know, have these Corey Lewandowski. Yeah, Corey Lewandowski. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's like at least the way I'm looking at it right now as someone who doesn't particularly like Trump is, again, feeling glad that they found this, that it's not him personally. But again, it, man, I'm so glad that Paul Manafort will not be involved in another campaign because there are total scumbags in politics and he's one of those guys. So I'm just glad that people like that, you know, aren't really around anymore. I'm sure there's going to be a whole new generation in the future, but... Um, of scumbags? <laughs> I guess they're already here. I mean, we could be. No, I'm kidding. It's like, oh, let's... No, we got George Santos. <laughs> George Santos. That's fair. Hey. And Jeff Sessions George, was also George involved, Santos, right? in that case, he's not even... Um, He's going it a step further. Now you don't need a scumbag to work on your campaign. You can just do the scumbaggery yourself. You can. <laughs> wait, I don't. Th- wait, Jeff Sessions. He was also uh, complicit. I don't. Yeah, I think I think Jeff Sessions was also complicit. That. that was one of the main like things that came out. He was the former attorney general to Donald Trump before he replaced him with Bill Barr. Apparently, Jeff Sessions had a lot of problems with a lot of people, and he got kicked the beep out. Like, it was like, you know, Jeff Sessions, you Yeah, but someone who doesn't have problems with North Korea is Trump. Nick, what's going on there? 
Yeah, so Trump, uh, which some people are saying was sarcastic, but it wasn't too clear to tell. So Trump on Truth Social congratulated North Korea on the country's appointment to the World Health Organization, the WHO, the executive board. And as a reminder, Trump does not like the WHO. He decided to withdraw the U.S. from it when he was the president during COVID. Um, And Trump ended up praising Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea, on his social media platform and highlighted an article discussing the North Korean uh, official's election uh, to that body. And just like as a fun thing, um, Tyler told us before the show that South Korea, and this is from a Reuters story from five years ago, South Korea has used AI technology recently to try to determine how much Kim Jong-un actually weighs, um, just to kind of look at his health. And it turns out he's over 300 pounds, which you know, I, just very interesting that governments are literally using AI technology to try to predict and figure out how much the dictator of North Korea weighs to then draw some correlations about his health and how long he's going to be there. So just thought that was a funny little thing. But Pratik he, and Tyler, he's also drink, he's also drinking and smoking nonstop, as one like does. chain drinking and smoking. Dude, there are plenty as of people does. that drink and smoke all day. They live to be like 100 years old. And other people, it's like they, they won't touch a single drop of liquor. They won't you know, smoke anything, and then they'll drop dead at, like, 40. I don't know how these it's things It's true, are. but look, <laughs> yeah. look, wasn't he in, like, some sort of, ca- like, catatonic state or coma- comatose state oh, yeah, he was like out of the public ago, eye like... for a while. Yeah, I don't know what the deal with that was. Oh, I did see a recent story that he went to Disneyland with his uh, dad, and they got, like, fake passports and went, like, when he was a kid, so... I just think it's funny. It's like all these little connections. You know, you have the Kim Jong-un story, you have Disneyland, you have DeSantis. It all comes together. I do think one thing is funny, though, too, is, I mean, we don't know. I mean, obviously, this this does seem like a gaffe. Maybe Trump was joking around on Truth Social because he also really hates World Health Organization with a passion. It's more about his hatred towards who and about how useless they were. And that was one of his big critics criticisms during COVID time period where he was saying COVID came from China with the help of who, with who. And now at that time, that was like, whoa, how can Trump say that? How can he be against who? How can he be saying COVID came from Wuhan, China? We need to ban all these Republicans from Twitter now. Like that was what was going on back then. But now I do find that another thing about Trump really weird is that he is obsessed with a lot of these leaders. I don't know why Trump is obsessed with a lot of these leaders, but I do really think he is. Like I don't know why he like why he's obsessed with Kim Jong-un, but he is obsessed with Kim Jong-un. I mean, like me as a Republican saying that, like I do feel like at least somebody like Ron DeSantis, he's not gonna talk about he's not gonna congratulate Kim Jong-un. He they just not gonna talk about these people. Most of them so, don't. Yeah, I have a theory. <laughs> I think it's because Trump, the way he does business, is he showers someone with compliments and like all that, and that's how he gets deals done in business. So he tr- he tries to translate that to geopolitics, and it doesn't work as well because Kim Jong Un is going to take all the praise and whatever, and he's not going to give anything back to Trump. So I actually think it's a mistake but he doesn't... on the political level. But I understand why he does it, or at least yeah. why he thinks he should do it. That's what but he's I do always think done. it's weird when certain other cases too, like with Iran, he never praised Iran. He was always really, he's like the most hostile Iran guy. Like, there's no one more hostile than Iran, Iran than Donald Trump. Like, he's the most hostile as it gets. But with Kim Jong-un, this is another country that we don't really get along with. Like, Iran, we've almost been at the brink of war, like, so many times. North Korea is the same way. Except when North Korea 
everyone hates them. Like with Iran, they got some allies. Who is North Korea's allies? Like they got no one. They got China. Well, That's about it. China, like, yeah. and the only reason no one touches North Korea is because of China. But if China didn't exist, ain't nobody is supporting North Korea. They're just literally that. You know, North. They're only China's like sad old brother that no one cares about. He's just there. Like, that's North well, Korea. So Trump did say that on the campaign stage, which everyone with the brain would say is that China is the key partner in terms of working on something with North Korea. But as far as Kim Jong-un, I mean, to be fair, he did go against him. You know, after they had the failed negotiations where they had the photo op, um, he called him Little Rocket Man. And, you know, he kind of threatened <laughs> to bomb too. North Korea if they ever tried to start anything. Um, and so he's like, oh, you think you have a big gun? I have an even bigger gun. I yeah, remember that. Yeah, like, yeah. He kept calling him little, like, rocket man. He was man. like, try me. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's just so funny that he would do stuff like that. Where, again, like Tyler was saying, he would shower him with compliments. And the second the deal doesn't go well, it's like, all right, <laughs> now the insults are coming it's out. Like Joe, it's like Joe, it's like Mike Pence. That's just how Trump works. It's like works. Mike Pence, man. He showered him with compliments and praise. And then when it didn't That's work what he does out, to people. Hey, we need to cut the cord it's on when Mike it's, Pence. It's speedy and for him. Uh, look, we know Trump, he, he's going to use people for what he wants and throw them by the wayside when he's done with them. He's done that to countless people, and he's the only one left standing. So I guess it's worked out for him. The only one that's not left standing is Biden. So we got Biden is back to falling forward. President Joe Biden tripped and fell after uh, President Joe Biden tripped and fell after handing out a diploma at a graduation ceremony at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado on Thursday, but got up quickly and walked back to his seat. He tripped over his sandbag. The 80-year-old 80, 80 U.S. president fell forward, caught himself with his hands, then got up on one knee while helping being helped by three other people, he walked back to his seat unassisted. After Biden was helped up, he pointed behind him, seemed to indicate that he tripped over a sandbag, he used to hold up a teleprompter in place, mingled with other officials afterwards, smiling and giving a thumbs up, so at least he was coherent enough to realize that it's not a good optic look for him to be falling and that may be in pain after, so he did recover quickly. But look, it was actually, it was one of those, it was the first gaffes of Biden that I actually felt sorry for him. It was an old man tripping and falling and that's just even if you're very devout into politics it's hard to make fun of something like that and what's interesting is even trump came out and said like he fell like don't make fun of him for falling now <laughs> trump has made fun of like literally disabled people going Ugh. so I, I i don't know where that's maybe he's trying to turn a new leaf or something um but i it's just really sad it's very sad i don't want to talk about this story it, like it's a gaff, but it's like an old man falling. I, I it's it's hard to want to make fun of that. It was funny know? when it happened when he was falling up going on a plane, but now when he falls on a stage, yeah. Tyler, you're not laughing about it. What's wrong with you, man? When you fall on your face. <laughs> oh, come on, he, it was like a hard fall though. It was like a real, real fall. Yeah, I just think it's ironic. It's like a skit from Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David, the comedian, where basically right after Biden tells these graduates at the Air Force Academy that they're entering into a, quote, unstable world, then he trips and falls. Like, that's just a comedy <laughs> yeah. sketch. Like, that's slapstick humor. The fact that that happened, I think, is pretty funny. Um, but yeah. I mean, if, you're, if you're the person thinking that Biden's, like, declining at all, this is just another example of, look, maybe not only mentally, physically, he's very frail. Uh, is that does that show the leadership we want in our American president? Like he's supposed to be the voice for us to the world. He's, if he's falling down, if he's misspeaking, I mean, these are just really bad signs. Even if you agree with this policy position, I will say one thing: some of this stuff actually makes him personable. 
I will say that it's ironic, but you think about it. How many people are running against Donald Trump right now? How many people on the Democratic side are running against Joe Biden? Joe Biden is falling. Joe Biden is doing, I mean, Joe Biden says stupid things. Joe Biden is not there half the time. Half the people in both parties think he's a sleepy guy. And he's probably going to get it older. So he's going to have to go to his own doctor appointments whenever there's actual things going on. We talk about this stuff and we joke about it. But you think about this in a practical, non-comedic way. Joe Biden is still like the number one candidate by far. Like you throw him up against 26 other primary options in the Democratic Party and Joe Biden is still winning it by a landslide. If you take out Joe Biden, Kamala Harris is winning. And the only reason Kamala Harris is winning is she's Joe Biden's vice president. Like that, that does matter in my opinion. I think the fact that Joe Biden falls and does misspeaks things, the fact that people don't think Joe Biden is mentally or physically there actually helps this case plus to remember we're forgetting the fact old people are the ones that are making these decisions we need all these old people to be in charge Six, over 65 all the people that are over 65 are basically telling us who's going to be our president so if for all the old people they love a guy that's falling on his own like you think about this in another weird aspect right we talked about kim jong-un the guy weighs over 300 pounds i'm sure that guy is falling but nobody has any sympathy for him but with joe biden i mean look that guy is an old guy he has nothing really you know there's nothing going for him but because he's an old guy that is falling on himself falling forward it actually helps him be the best candidate that the Democrats got. Because apart from him, I don't know, man. The world would end if Joe Biden wasn't a Democratic option. Pratik, you know those life alert commercials? You fall in and you can't get up. You got to press the button. In this case, Joe Biden fell, but he got back up. And that's what the country's yes. like right now. With the debt ceiling, with everything else going on. You know, we keep stumbling, but we keep getting back up. We're going forward and we'll see how it all turns out. What a hopeful message. I love it, Nick. Well... That's our show for today, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Politicana 133. Please share the podcast. Follow us on whatever platform, Spotify or whatever. Follow us. We really appreciate it. It helps us get out there. We would love to talk to as many people with you know, a reasonable conversation, maybe a little bit of comedy. But with that, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Later.